District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Hi, everyone. Gabriella here. I'm joined by Gabby Franco for a fun conversation on her story of fleeing Hugo Chavez's Venezuela, how she became a competitive shooter, the fight for Second Amendment rights, and other issues. So, Gabby, thanks for, again, sitting down with me. I'm glad we could re-record because that noise in Old Town was a little much. I know, I know. It was a fun talk, though. But anyways, I can do it again. (laughs) Excellent. Why don't you share with my listeners and also viewers about your background? How were you able to flee Hugo Chavez's Venezuela? Well, I uh, moved from from Venezuela quite a bit, almost two decades ago. Um, and it was a very um, eye-opening for me and a realization of what things matter. You know, I was Olympic hope for Athens 2004. Mm-hmm. At that point, I had already won three gold medals in Brazil. Um, I was going a very good, you know, path to earn my spot in the Olympic Games. And then came to the realization that uh, freedoms... And the, the new president, Hugo Chavez, was imposing these rules, these new laws, and his ideas were against what I believe was going to contribute with, to my success and the success of the country as a whole, right? Because at the end of the day, we are like a, an ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I saw him live uh, uh, expropriating businesses just because he wanted to for no absolutely reason. He would go out and he would say, who owns that business? Or what is that, a jewelry? Oh, they have too much money. Expropriate that business. And, you know, as a young person, I was just a teenager. Mm-hmm. I even thought that was outrageous. What happened if it was me? What happened if it was my parents, my friends, family member? It, doesn't, it didn't matter. And um, I had the opportunity to come. Um, I have somebody who back then was my boyfriend. And uh, he told me to come by and all that stuff to make the long story short in a book fair in Miami, which there are millions, billions of people go to that book fair. Uh, there was a girl there that like almost stumbled, you know, <laughs> stumbled each other and happened to be that she went with me to the Olympic Games in Sydney 2000. Wow. I mean, out of, like, God sent, literally. And then she gave me the information for her lawyer, and she said, yes, I applied for an extraordinary ability visa, which is for my sport, you know, with athletes can apply for the visa. And I applied for that, and in a year, I got my green card. It's amazing. It, was, it seems like a, easy for most people to say a year, but still wear 365 days of being scared, not knowing what was going to happen, right. not knowing if I was going to stay, not knowing if they were going to deny my, my, my application or not. Um, so, you know, it, 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 was, uh, it was one of those things. But at the same time, give me the satisfaction that, or, or I'd say confirmation that doing your best, no matter what, and everything you do, longer, sooner or later, would benefit you and everybody around you. You know, um, so being a, an athlete and dedicated my soul, my everything to the sport and turned out to be that was my, my, uh, my plaza to go to the Olympic Games and also to be here in the United States. So, yeah. That's amazing. And since you've settled here, you've actually competed in different tournaments and shows. Talk about your experience 
what is it on Top, Top Shot and a few other places. So where have you appeared on and what have you competed in that people would recognize? Well, I've been shooting App Shot, USPSA shooting, um, just pistol and also do have done three gun competitions, have done two gun competitions and I participated on Top Shot. And it's very interesting because at that time I was on season four and season five. But before I played for season four, I was a fan, like mm-hmm. you, like most of your viewers about, you know, Top Shot. I watched, I watched season four, I mean, Top Shot season one, Top Shot season two. And one day my brother said, you should apply for Top Shot. I'm like, are you crazy? No, I'm not going to do that. He, and he kept bugging me, bugging me. One day I was scrolling through Facebook and there was a notification from Topshot from the History Channel mm. and saying, last week to apply for Topshot. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, what is the worst thing that could happen? Yeah. And not only that, but at that time in my life, I was going through a very rough time. Mm. Like, I, like rock bottom. There was nothing. Dead, unemployment, divorce. I mean, all at once. All happened, everything happened within two weeks, mm. almost. So, um, so I was like, you know what? There's nothing worse, nothing worse could happen. I'm just up for the adventure and I apply for it. And the funny thing is that I didn't send the application completely. Oh, the complete application. I just read something and I said, oh, that's easy. And I just sent an email with my picture and done. And then I went back to the website and said, along with your email, attached a video, which was my audition video. And I, had, I didn't do that. I was like, oh, man, they're going to disregard my application because I didn't send the complete and all that stuff. So I spent like a, all that week. I sent it like a Monday. Spent all that week trying to make this video. On a Friday, I got a phone call. Back then, I used to work in Office Depot. And I was in the technology department and a part of... Um, and so, uh, I, I, you know, normally you don't answer your phones when right. you're talking to customers. Yeah. And I was doing some copies or something for somebody. And then I got my phone. And I'm, I'm kind of expecting, you know, because, oh, we're going to call you within a certain amount of time. And then I see California. I was like... Okay, I don't know anybody in California, but <laughs> this can be. I, I answer, and as soon as I heard production or producer or something, I threw all the work to my manager who wow. looked at me like, what in the world is happening? And I'm like, you wait. <laughs> I'm an important phone call today. And I took the phone call, and, and that's when they told me that, okay, send the application by Monday, the following Monday. And, and we'll see. And the rest story. How was it appearing on a TV show? I know there's a differentiation between like reality TV, competition series. Was it like intense? Did they make you do outrageous stuff? I haven't admittedly watched Top Shot. I don't think it's like reality TV. Uh-huh. I know that for a case. But what was the experience like? Well, you know, again, and I, this is what I tell everybody. Everybody's experience is different. Okay, right. we all take, you can, two people can witness same event, mm-hmm. and each person will have a different perspective right. of the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Top Shot to me was a reality mm-hmm. show. Um, they, you know, they didn't tell me what to do other than this is the competition and this is what mm-hmm. you need to do or the gun that you need to use and whatever. 
Uh, but everything else, the interaction, at least, I mean, in my season, everything was genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, and whoever decided to do or say something, they said it. And that's something, when I read the contract, and this is the thing that most people... Most, they probably made you sign a form. Yes, we signed a con, not a form, a contract. Contract, yeah. And the contract said that everything that we say was going to be used mm-hmm. in any way they wanted to put it on. And so, for instance, even if the conversation was real, you had a conversation, and the conversation or your, your interview was 30 minutes long, but they're going to put only 15 seconds or 30 seconds wow. on TV, you see, if you were 90% angry for whatever, they're probably going to put that, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was very mindful of that. Um, meaning that I would not say something I would regret in the right, future. Right, right. Because it was going to be filmed. Right. <laughs> There's no such right. a thing like, okay, only one people heard me or whatever. No. Millions of people are going to hurt. Tune in to watch you, yeah. Right. And so, and I had no control how the, the show was going to edit it, going to be edited. So, you know, that was my thought process. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. And you went on to win that season, right? No, I oh, you did didn't not. win it. You competed in it. So, yes. what place did you get? I forget. So I got the farthest of women's in the whole series. Top okay. Shot. Um, I got on the on up to the uh, individual portion of the competition. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So it was fun. I, I every time I watch it, I even get like like things. Like the anxiety thing of, oh my God, I almost didn't make that shot. Or, <laughs> or it was hard for me because there were shots that were hard for me. Things that I never tried in my life, never had shot before. Uh, had to, you know, rely on, on my team members. And, and the opposite happened sometimes. Like in my first episode, they literally relied on me on shooting the smallest targets mm-hmm. because I'm the Olympic shooter. I'm the, mm-hmm. more, the precision shooter. So, you know, there's pressure on me also and uh, and and that's the point where you say okay we are a team even though we're competitors we're competing with each other but right now we're a team and what matter is doing my best so we can all move forward yeah well even though you didn't win it was still a great experience oh, I, yeah. I can imagine it was very competitive because you get the country's best shooters and guys, if you're competing against guys, it's probably really tough sometimes to even beat them too. <laughs> it is, shooting, but it was but, fun. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot about myself, obviously. I learned a lot about uh, TV. It makes me actually appreciate movies, not because of the actor or the actresses or the, the, the main characters, but because of the work that is behind scenes. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how... The production, the the people who were there, tried to make our lives as comfortable as possible. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm very thankful because being out of your comfort zone, obviously, being in a in a place that is not your home, we did not have books, radio, TV, phones. Uh, we were not allowed to have so many things. We were not wow. even allowed to be out of. Imagine your you have to be enclosed between. Well, I wouldn't even say imagine. Everybody experienced that already <laughs> during the, the pandemic. Yeah. M- many people inside their home or around. So they kind of had you all yes. sectioned off. Exactly. But uh, many of the producers and the people working in the, in the production, they were very nice. 
some were some were not as nice as others, but sure. I understood their purpose <laughs> per se. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think you know it's all about attitude, right? I think it's all about attitude. I had a different attitude. One, I signed up for it. Okay, nobody forced me to sign up, sign up for that for 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 the show. Second of all, I the 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 kind of rules were laid out ahead of time. You know, I knew there was a competition, but it also was the 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 thing of uh, everything was going to be filmed mm -hmm. and everything I say I do was going to make could put out out there. So I was aware of that, you know, mm -hmm. situation. So, you know, I, I just had a, I would say a positive attitude into I'm going to get the best out of it. And I did. I mean, I had a, so much fun yeah. that when they called me for season five, I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> did you follow through with season five or no? Oh, yeah. You did? Uh, yeah, I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> they told me, you want to go into season five? I said, yes. And I was there. I didn't win either, but I had a hell of a great did time. Did you advance further than you previously did on season no, four? No, I did not. I did not. There were a, a few things um, that were not on TV that kind of hurt me a little bit, and I would say affect me a little bit mentally. Sure, I have yeah. to admit don't, that. Don't feel free to elaborate. You don't to, have to. I have to admit <laughs> that uh, it broke a little bit put a lot of doubt on me, but that's part of the process. That's part of the learning process. It made me aware of that. Sometimes people, and even sometimes myself, people think that, oh, because you are an Olympian, because you were champion in so many things, or because you are so driven or so feel or have a, a strong presence, that you cannot break down. And it's just so far from the truth. Yeah. Um, I tell people, it's all about life in general is that battle. Mm -hmm. It's a constant battle of keeping your mind where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. People think that, oh, once you get to that point, that's it. And we don't, we see that it's not that right. case. We have seen champions break through in life in so many aspects. Yeah. People who you would think they're mentally strong, um, that psychologists, you say, oh my God, that guy has it all figured out. <laughs> and they break through because it's, the mind is so fascinating. And that's one of We're the We're fallible. Reasons. We're human too. So we, we right. have emotions. Right. Yeah. But the most important thing, like I say, is not necessarily reject that or get down by it mm -hmm. other than understanding what happened how to avoid that from happening again and keep growing, you mm -hmm. know. And I'm so fascinated by that, and that's why I went back to school. Yeah. And I was doing marketing because I like marketing. I like to, you know, social media and all that stuff. But I took this class, psychology, and then I said, this, this is me. This is your career track. <laughs> yeah. It is. And, I mean, beyond your experience with Top Shot, you've done a lot of competition, and you've even done... Second Amendment advocacy. Yeah. What led you to do that and get interested in it? Well, when I came here to the United States for the first time, I went to a uh, gun range in Miami. And well, first of all, I was trying to look for Olympic shooting gun ranges. Mm. I could not find anybody. I could not find a good, you know, solid gun range to do air pistol, you know. So I obviously get across a lot of gun ranges, outdoor gun ranges that to deal with regular shooting. And one of them, uh, I don't remember the name, but uh, Calle Ocho, 
on 8th Street. <laughs> that I remember. Uh, they had some pamphlets, the NRA and stuff. And one of the things said, protect the Second Amendment or something like that. Uh, and then I asked, what is this? What is the Second Amendment? I had no clue. And then somebody asked, somebody, somebody mentioned that, yeah, the pamphlet said Second Amendment because it's the, you know, our rights, it's God-given rights. And this whole explanation into me, my world just went all over the place. I'm like, this is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. I, in my head, you know, it was a contrast between seeing how the situation in crime was increasing in Venezuela and at the same time how uh, citizens were were getting, I would, at that time, were not necessarily disarmed, but they were, the, the government was creating a chokehold, mm. was restricting ammunition, was restricting gun shops to mm-hmm. process sales, to import firearms. So, you know, it was like this. Crime is increasing. Gun guns owners, right. No guns. Gun ownership mm-hmm. was decreasing. On the decline. Oh, wow. Right. So um, I was like, can you imagine if people had the right to own, their, to own firearms and protect themselves, you wouldn't be, you know, at the mercy of criminals all the time. That was my logic. And, you know, when I came here, that's how I came with that mentality came that I came with. And I thought it was brilliant. And so I thought, how come people fight against the Second Amendment? Like, you know, I couldn't fathom. It's like, you in America, you, you know, there's two things. In America, you have most people are educated, mm-hmm. right? In Venezuela, in the contrast, many people are poor and many people un- under edu- they're not uneducated. So you would think, okay, they were manipulated. They didn't know better in Venezuela, and that's why they went through socialism, gun control, and all that stuff. And in America, what's the excuse? Yeah. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? <laughs> You are educated. You're supposed to make this logical, uh, you know, um, uh, arguments. And you're not. Especially mm-hmm. when you see history, when you see everywhere around the world, citizens are sup- oppressed by the powerful. And generally, the suppressed are disarmed. Mm-hmm. And the powerful are armed. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you think... Wow, it's 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 crazy. It makes you understand, make me understand the manipulation go in so many venues. So it has so many tentacles. It doesn't matter how smart you are. Yeah. Oh, you can be manipulated in so many Easily. ways, right? And uh, and that's why I've been very very uh, strongly supportive of the Second Amendment. I would say of our Constitution. Of our rights in general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, of course. It's not, it's By not, extension, yes. Oh my god. The goodness. rest of them, yes. It's 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 just I think the constitution the, the the United States Constitution is was beautifully drafted. The uh the the Bill of Rights in general, Sixth Amendment, I was like, oh my god, that's a god said I wish that we had something like that in Venezuela. And you know, in general, so we cannot let one go down because if one goes the under, oh, what's yeah, going to happen of with them the rest? Be affected. Yeah, I mean, I'm of the same thinking because my parents similarly fled the Soviet Union, as you know, uh, fled socialism too. And when they came here, 
They saw how beautiful this document is. You didn't have rights guaranteed under the Soviet constitution. Right. I bet definitely not under Venezuela. Yeah. I think aside from the United States, only two others have Second Amendment provisions. Last I checked, it was Mexico and Guatemala. Right. <laughs> Just two. Two of like 190 or three of us, including us, um, out of 190 countries having a Second Amendment. Wow. Crazy. I know. So I know. crazy to me because I would think former Soviet occupied states would want it. Like in Europe today, the Eastern Bloc, former Eastern Bloc, they do have gun rights in a mm-hmm. sense, but it's not codified into law much. Mm-hmm. Um, but they use it more so for hunting. They have better suppressor laws than we do. That's the only right. good thing I'll give Europe. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have anything codified, even with their history, right. which is sad. And talking about socialism briefly before we talk about ways people can, can get involved with gun advocacy, you saw it firsthand. What, if, what is kind of your warning to people in this country? I know a lot of people talk about the threat of socialism. It is a true concern, I would know as well. And I think a lot of us with family who fled that system do never, never want to see that system rear its head here. Right. What is your warning as someone who kind of was fresh from it? That socialism comes in small waves. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, it hits you in the face. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, rarely, there's a term turning back. And, and when it is, it takes more decades right. to undo the damage. Um, to the young people, I tell them, why would you want a government to have so much power, so much control of what is success for you? Um, people talk a lot about the 1% who are the millionaires and all that stuff. And that's one of the arguments on the, um, the socialist. My, my, I counteract that argument saying, especially with people who are listening, is that that 1% will be the first one who will fly away. Well, oh, the they, they fold will, easily. Right. It will be the first one who say, okay, bye-bye, Felicia. You guys st- stick around with your <laughs> socialism and you middle class take the burden because I won't. We have seen it in so many ways, even here within the United States when so many companies left. Oh, sure. Yeah. The mm-hmm. automotive companies left in many cities. Uh, what, how are those cities? The Rust Belt, yeah, it's not really doing so hot much anymore. Mm -hmm. No, they don't. So it's not the way of saying, oh, you know, we're going to give them all those, these corporations like a free, you know, ride. No, we have rules, we have regulations, but we have to understand how everything works. Like I said at the beginning of the video, we're like almost like an ecosystem. You know, you don't have uh, companies and people who put investment and work. The workers won't have a job. Well, money doesn't grow on trees. You have to have, what is the old saying? Poor people don't create jobs. And it's not to disparage poor people, but who has the capital? for those of people who think, you know, go to the Marxist and all these ideologies and say, oh, no, but the work is, that the business is is thanks to the workers, so we have more power. We we should have more power. Well, are you going to put your house as a collateral? Are you going to put all your savings in, in, in the business? Are you going to spend... 17, 20 hours of your days every day to make sure that the work, that the, the business works. I guarantee you, you won't because you may not know what is the business plan. You don't, you didn't have a vision, the actual vision to create the business. And why do I say that? Because that happened in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. In Venezuela, many people say, oh no, if they grew this business, well, we can do it. Anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, you see PDVSA, which is a company who had the oil business in Venezuela. 
I want to say bankrupt, but pretty much, I mean, it doesn't work as that many other businesses who at the end of the day ended up closing mm -hmm. because people who took the power of the business. They federalized everything. They nationalized every business. So, so they, some of them, some, uh, not and, everything. No, they didn't do that. Everything they na didn't nationalize everything. So many other, what they did is literally remove the owners. Oh, they did. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. In, in other words, because basically they say, okay, you have to get out of the business. Mm -hmm. Some people didn't get a good payment mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. their business at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and the government took power. Some, some business, not all. But at the end of the day, for instance, if you have a manufacturer, right, and you relied on this company who made, provide you from the materials, If this company does not work or does, does, does not work efficiently, this company suffers. And because this company suffers and cannot make products, the end user suffers as well. Mm. So it is a chain. It's not like, oh, you, yeah, we're going to be happy because that company goes down and that's not going to affect you. It will affect you. We see it nowadays. Gas up. Mm -hmm. And with gas, what it comes also? Prices of regular products, oh, inflation, yep. inflation mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's a chain that never ends. So we can't, we, we have to, people need to think, you know. Big picture. Logically, you, instead of emotionally. Right. Well, also, I think there's some polling and people are asked, what does socialism mean to you? And it's kind of laughable, but scary at the same time that some respondents to these polls have said that socialism to them means socializing in a social setting. And it's like, oh no, <laughs> you won't be doing much of that under the system. You know, they, they have a misinterpretation of what it is. And certainly some people, I think, they lump everything they don't like as socialism, which I think is a mistake. But there are clear evidence to examples of what it is. And you do see some politicians definitely embrace. You see Bernie Sanders, the squad, others. One of the biggest dangers to me about socialism is that it gives, and it's to, to me, to summarize it in a very, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the dangers to me, is that it, it gives too much power to the government. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, power corrupts people. And people are corruptible. Period. So, because people are corruptible, keep less power to the government, therefore, Don't engage in socialism. It's very simple. It goes, you know, <laughs> north to south, south to north in such a way. Um, it's, it's proven throughout the world. Yeah, no matter and, the country, um, it always ensues with misery and people are not happy. That's why my parents fled, this, fled the Soviet Union, came here. Right. Why would we come here if they loved socialism? I mean, why would and, they come here? Sorry. And there are I was so born many. Here. <laughs> and, and, you know, this is a country where you can dream and you can work hard and you can achieve. I mean, I'm not gonna say I'm proof of it, I'm not a millionaire, but I can tell you something. I am proof that even when you're rock bottom and here you can push hard and you can get out of it. In many countries you cannot. No, you're stuck. In most countries you cannot. It's very hard to move up yeah. socially and even economically mm -hmm. in many countries. That's why people, pack their belongings, make the trek. Yeah, Somehow. they don't go to Venezuela. No. Or, or Cuba. No. By no measure do they do that. And people, I mean, that's essentially the history of the United States. People came here through Ellis Island. 
my parents came at the height of you know, before Soviet Union physically collapsed, people are coming now to flee different instances. People from your home country are coming to, yeah. to the United States too. Different waves of immigration now, but people are like, why would I stay in my home country when I can have freedom, better opportunities right. here in the United States? We have even people fleeing Canada coming here too. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very... So something uh, must be working here. Despite, you know, every country has flaws. We're not perfect, but oh, I would say sure. we're, we're better than the rest of the world. There's well, no comparison. Because, like I'm saying... I mean, even with all restrictions, and it's it's hard. I mean, I'm not going to say here in the United States everything is easy. No, it's hard. No. But at the same time, you can have that thing that you can say, okay, you know, I'm willing to do this. This is my dream. I'm going to work for it. And you can achieve it. How many right. businesses and people who have seen and we know that they have collapsed to nothing and then they can build themselves up back again? Mm-hmm. Um you know, and, and, and that's the beauty of it. And, and that's an opportunity. I want to have that opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to have that opportunity. I want to have the opportunity that I can say, you know what? I'm just going to work hard or, you know, I want. But the opportunity is there. Well, socialism, what it does is just caps you. Yeah. Right there. It kneecaps you. Yeah, and sets your potential. And, 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 and that's what I don't want that for my children. You already had enough of it. Right. <laughs> Even like, the, the start of it. In fact, those who like socialism, why don't they try that with their children? You know, or people around. Take away their like, candy. Right. No allowance. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. I think they, they, they like socialism from the lens of the first world. So they have a very warped view of what socialism is. They have it from a place of privilege, I guess, if that's a way that you can say it. They, they view it from the first world lens. So they think well, they have this romanticized notion of it. It's everyone's free and yeah. equal. You get like caipirinhas, you get like luxury accommodations. No, it's not like that. And you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that everything is equal and all that. Do you know that Hugo Chavez's daughter left after Hugo Chavez died? She was left with $3 billion. Crazy. This is the, the, Where does the, she live now? I don't know. Somewhere. And I don't care. But Probably not the United States, I hope. <laughs> I don't know, but $3 billion. That's crazy. They, uh-huh. So, and that happens all across... Kleptocracies, yeah. Everything. Oh, yeah. So they say socially. Think about Fidel Castro. Oh, was yeah. Was Fidel Castro living like all the Cubans? Was he being equally? No. Like the Cubans? He usurped all the wealth. Was he given, you know, one bag of rice and one bag of one can of tuna or in one roll of toilet paper once a month? No. So when people tell me socialism is going to be equal, it's, it's a very narrow way of thinking. It's you know? equal for those who control. Yes. They can all be powerful and rich, but everyone, and there's the other side of equality where everyone... 90 some odd percent of the society is going to be equally miserable. And gen- generally speaking, the disparity it is becomes wider. Oh, absolutely. I so, saw it in <clears throat> my dad used to say all the time, he said, Everybody is a world. Everybody has different expectations of life, different expectations about work, work ethics. Um, so it's never socialism ne- never brings people up. Always down. Always brings people down. That's why here they always talk towards, oh, we're going to take more. It's not to make the, the teach the poor how to be successful in themselves. Right. No. It's to always it's expect to bring, someone to right, take to care of them. It's to bring 
the middle class down and they're all in the same playing field. Mm -hmm. So that's the dirty little secret. I think people fail to understand and they love to say, well, we'll be like Scandinavia. I'm like, Scandinavia, you don't know what economic system they have. They have a mixed economy where they still have private enterprise, but business largely controls it. Right. And they're more homogenous as a society. So you can't really compare us to them. And they, they still actually, in some metrics, like Denmark and a few of the other countries are actually better economically than we are, which is very strange given that they have this mixed mm -hmm. economy. Um, and they have a social welfare program, but they're not socialist, socialist per se, but they're, they're kind of like a hybrid. Right. And so it's like, yeah, you don't really want to cite them. You guys are more so advocating for Cuba or Venezuela. We know that. Like you guys, it's just they don't have a basic understanding of economics. Right. Because what they're pushing is more like what's happening in Central and South America, not what's happening in Scandinavia, because they still have a free market. It's just the free market is co-opted by government more right. so. Why don't we talk about how people can get involved in advocacy? I know that's something you wanted to touch yeah. upon. Any groups you wanted to push or any tips for people to stay engaged? Because we obviously have a president who is not very friendly to gun rights. Mm -hmm. He has said he wants to go after manufacturers. Uh, we see different efforts. I don't know how far it'll move in Congress because it's pretty deadlocked. And I think you never know. They could right. push something. Midnight order. Something could happen. But what are your tips for people, especially well, given what we're facing politically? Right, right, right. Uh, definitely call your legislators. I know for so many of you, it may seem like it's a waste of time. Uh, do it. Uh, to engage and support organizations like the DC Project. There are many gun organizations out there that are very legit that you should support. Um, gun Owners of America. I mean, the Arms are, Policy Coalition, I think, yeah, is another. That's another you one. You want to support the NRA, you can too. Yeah. <laughs> Lots mean, of them to your heart's desire. Right, right, right. So there are many organizations out there that need your support. And for those of you who think that, oh, it won't happen here, uh, you know, they will never take our rights, understand that the, uh, the takeaway gun rights or confiscation and all that doesn't happen right away. It's a long process. They condition you to live with certain, without certain freedoms per se, or without certain making your life inconvenient. So they make you comfortable living like that until there's a point there's no. There's the point of no return. Think of it as like the black hole, right? The black hole at the end, and you have the event horizon. We get closer. As we get close to that event horizon, there's the point of no return. That means the point where you won't be able to own certain firearms, gun, gun, gun ranges won't be able to import or sell certain type of firearms. Even ammunition. Or they will restrict. Regulation, yeah. They will restrict your ammunition, the quantity, quality, background checks, or the, the, the type of calibers you can shoot. Mm -hmm. uh, happens all over around the world. So they, they won't tell you right away your guns are going to be taken away, but there's going to be a point where 10, 15 years from now, that's 15, 20 maybe, that's going to happen if we keep going this path. I mean, think about the gun control, the, the push is always towards taking guns. The ban, that's, that's words that are commonly used within politicians. What do you think that's going to lead to in the next They love few to years? say, though, it's not a ban, though. They say... They keep using the, their frame of argument now because they know they're losing on overall because you can't openly say confiscation now because right. we know that they want to confiscate. It's obvious. Right. But they're not saying 97% of Americans support universal background checks. 
And to me, I was looking at that methodology behind the polling, and a few of them were confusing to me because it framed it like there's no background checks whatsoever. There are background checks. Private sales included, too, when you do exchanges between individuals. So they love to use, like, see, here's where we have agreement. It's like the framing and the, the perspective is questionable because these are gun control groups that are saying, see, we found agreement. It's like, but you're coming from a place of bias already. Right. Your methodology is questionable at best. And the goals of this is not to reduce crime. You notice that? Mm-hmm. There's a common thread between all these different proposals. It's to stop and constrict legal gun ownership or people from purchasing of in course. the future. It doesn't tackle crime. No. It doesn't tackle blocking criminals. They, they're equating criminals with law-abiding people. They don't want to openly admit it, but that's what they do because they, they view that we have the potential to be criminals because we're openly and voluntarily purchasing guns, which I think is so sinister to even equate us to criminals because we're not the ones perpetrating crime. We're very upset anytime someone goes on a mass shooting rampage. That reminds me uh, Chipman. Yes, uh, his, ATF nominee director. Right. When I think it was uh, Congressman Lee, he pointed out. Senator Lee, yeah. Yeah, Senator mm-hmm. Lee pointed out that uh, he mentioned in, a, in one of his interviews or something, he was making fun of first-time gun owners. Yes, but last mostly, year. But, but also, he also said in, a, I think, in a Reddit uh, write-out, he mentioned that, you know, people who who apply or fill out the 473 and lie to, they should be arrested because, but his reasoning, I think it's very important because I do believe it's you lying in 4473, they should be, you know, your line and that's, you know, maybe a misdemeanor or whatever. But his reasoning was that they should be arrested before they commit a crime. And that thing. That's going, pretty sinister because it is. Well, what if the person doesn't turn out to commit a crime? It is. The you thought, can't police thought. That's a thought process that worries me with these people. It's well, that's not, how they use red flag laws, right. unfortunately, or extreme risk protection orders. They say, well, because some disgruntled family member thinks you're going to be violent, but what if that turns out to not be true? Then we're creating this external force where... They don't preemptively try to stop crime when they're told about right. mass shooters. Uh-huh. Oh, like recent mass shooters have gone under the green light. It's not conspiracy, but like a lot of these mass shooters are known, but they right. don't act on it. Like that I can, you know, maybe be comfortable with them actually following through with those leads, preventing crime that way, right. but potentially stop someone. Uh-huh. I mean, how can you, you can't go into their mind and think that, but I think most people, FFL dealers can see from someone they're potentially right. selling a gun to. They can tell Largely, if someone's exhibiting some weird vibes, if they're behaving but even, oddly. But even, even beyond that, to me, if somebody in power it has already such a weird and tro- you know, troublesome thought process on why people should be arrested. That can be translated into many other venues. And you know, that's why I tell people, just be involved. Call just later, just later especially now when the confirmation, has, for the confirmation yes. of Chipman. Because this man is not good, not good news for our rights. I mean, it's just his his whole purpose. Generally, he has worked with so many anti-gun uh, Giffords, Giffords, and he doesn't even mention or have a, a definition for what is a assault weapon. Yeah, he can't define it. He's like, well. Uh, it's defined as uh, what the bill in Congress is. So the bill he's citing, the assault weapons ban of 2021, banned most commonly owned sporting rifles. So to me, 
I, I kind of understood him as to what his definition was. He wants to ban everything. I oh, mean, yeah. it's pretty obvious where he comes from. But yeah, his just past statements, the derogatory statements about first-time gun owners, most of them who are not traditional gun owners. I mean, can you imagine having someone at the helm of the agency mm-hmm. who disparages? He's supposed to ensure that everything is run seamlessly, people follow the law, criminals are persecuted, prosecuted too. No, persecuted, prosecuted. <laughs> and and uh, not go after people who are well, following the law. He wants to make it harder. Like, he's well, being installed by the gun control lobby. Right. And the part that most people probably don't even know is that agencies, even though, you know, Congress makes laws, agencies make rules. Rules. Yep. Okay. And so they kind of work sort of like laws per se, and they may not affect you as an end user, as a regular citizen, but they do make regulations for gun shops. They make regulations for gun shops that will make it harder for gun shops to operate, to work, to 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 even I mean they can take the ATF or any other agency can take their their business I mean run the the run these people out of business uh, in a heartbeat pretty much. I mean, could you imagine? Because his potential boss, President Biden, has said we need to go after gun manufacturers. Could you imagine? Mm-hmm. He's given a decree because he's he's openly said we have to revoke. The Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms mm-hmm. Act. So he could direct potentially ATF Director Chipman to dismantle that. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine the chaos that stems from that? That would be just a complete destruction of the firearms industry, which already follows a lot of laws. They have liability um, clauses. Like everyone thinks this law makes them immune. There's only, um, you're, they're largely protected, but there are some notable exceptions. So if their product, like for instance, is purposely designed in a very bad way and it and they're they're reckless about it. They will be able to be sued. So people forget that there are they do get sued right. if they're negligible or they're part of a crime or something of that nature. So it's not like they're not held accountable. They follow the strictest safety standards. You go to SHOT Show, like you can't even do certain things at SHOT Show right. when you're when you're on the show floor. Right. So it's like they abide by really strict rules. They prize safety. They want people to have a good experience. Safety is their norm. I know, what is it? Project Child Safe is one of the initiatives from NSSF. Like all these different safety initiatives, uh, the, the focus on safety, making sure your gun is properly handled, that you're not pointing it even when it's not loaded, mm-hmm. you know, in an unsafe direction. So anytime you go to a range, it's not like they're saying, oh, yeah, just shoot whenever, you know, be crazy. Right. No, mm-mm. They, they have to follow strict protocol. So I think it's a misunderstanding. But I worry that because he ha- the president has different aims, this guy could be executing those different aims by rulemaking. Right. I know right. that could be seen as like an extreme view of it. But like, what, is, what if, yeah, the, the immunity is fully removed? What will happen? Well, you know, it's like I'm saying, at the end of the day, it's just the person who is... Uh, is trying the Biden wants to confirm Chipman is proven to be very very extremely anti-gun he ha- even has some past <laughs> issues with Waco I'll leave you that oh, yeah. your homework <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that but just re- you know type on your search engine Chipman and Waco and you can learn about that but uh, there's, a, there's a lot to the, this this guy is no new in the field and in the farms industry he 
he's, like I'm saying, no good news. He has so a long call, track record. Yeah, so call your legislators, make sure that you are involved, see how you can help, how can you get cooperate. Um, and this is not a warning of, alarming warning. This is, you know, just keep, think about the fight for your rights and Second Amendments and all that and First Amendment is constant. Unfortunately, that's not it. And I'm just going to leave it like that. It's true. And I think many people who live in states where they always think the Second Amendment is shielded from any attack. You can find this out west sometimes in like Montana or Wyoming. People never think that the Second Amendment will be under attack. They're like, well, Republicans are making up the fear. And then when you see nationally steps that are somewhat being taken, although they haven't been enacted, but it's just they're warning us that, hey, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. Be prepared. Um, and I come from a state where I think at some point California was pretty friendly to gun rights, but they became increasingly, mm -hmm. increasingly anti-gun. And it's one of the right. worst states now. You'd think the prospecting history, the frontier type of history behind California, <laughs> like people wanted to defend themselves, right. their property, Second Amendment type stuff. And now it's like the example of what you don't want your state or the right. federal government to become. Mm -hmm. So people don't think your rights can be taken away. Here in Virginia, we've had some of the best gun laws at one point, even slightly better than Texas mm -hmm. up until recently. But when we had anti-gun lawmakers take over the legislature in 2019, one of the first things they did was restrict how many handguns you could buy a mm -hmm. month. Now it's one handgun a month or one handgun every 30 days. Right. So they've slowly chipped away even here in Virginia. Right. They got rid of state preemption laws, right. which used to protect us from localities defining what is and isn't permissible. So now in Old Town Alexandria, if you wanted to carry... You can't carry in certain public places. Right. You can't carry in certain parks or can't carry in government buildings. So even in gun-friendly states like what is here, and we're still okay for the most part, but they have slowly chipped away at different laws here, mm -hmm. here in Virginia. So if it can happen here, it can happen anywhere. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I think that's what people don't fail to understand. They're like, oh, it'll that, never happen. And that goes with everything. That goes with everything, you know? Yeah. If you think that nothing is going to happen to you in your life, just wait. <laughs> you know, uh, life is like that. Life is a circle. It's a constant uh, battle in keeping yourself safe, uh, keeping yourself fighting for your rights. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's sad to say, but that's a reality. And you decide to live in reality, then you'll join us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if you don't, don't worry, we'll fight for you too. So, <laughs> Exactly. Gabby, where can people follow you, connect with you, follow your tournaments, learn more about your history, your musings, give, give uh, links to where everyone can connect with you? Well, you guys can follow me on Facebook. Uh, it's Gabby Franco, Top Shot, or Instagram, Twitter, and some other social media is Gabby Franco TS4, or my website, GabbyFranco.com, and that is G-A-B-B-Y-F-R-A-N-C-O. Awesome. This has been so much fun. This was our second take. Yeah. But I actually <laughs> like how this version came out really well. It's always a pleasure to see you. I'm so glad you're my neighbor, technically. Yes. You're not too far. <laughs> and we're going to do some more stuff. Definitely. But I appreciate your time, yeah. especially during this holiday weekend and you sharing your thoughts. I think you have a great message. People need to listen to people who fled certain societies to know exactly how great they have it here, how wonderful things are. And you really are a clarion kind of voice. So I hope you Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you have enjoyed the show, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. 
If you like the show and you're really enjoying our guests, you're enjoying the topic discussions, I encourage you to leave some reviews on Apple or wherever you're listening, especially on Apple since we have 60% of our listenership there. It goes a long way for getting us more notice for people to discover the podcast. And please feel free to share the podcast if you feel inclined and you like the content. I'd be grateful if you did and share the good word because it is really hard sometimes with just so much content out there, the news cycle just being ever-changing to have content go out there. So I'd appreciate your sharing of the podcast if you can and feel inclined. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. 